0: This is a letter from Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. An apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I hope you came here today because you're looking for the hope of the world, because it's here with Christ and his spirit, and it's here because of who God is. I'm writing to you, Timothy, my true son in faith, May God the Father and Christ Lord uh, Jesus our Lord give you grace, give you mercy, and give you peace. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we come to see you bring us hope in these times in this world. Wherever we need hope, in our finances, in our relationships, in our depression, in, a, in our addiction... In our struggles, Lord, we ask that you rise up and you help us fight the good fight. And Father, I pray even more like uh, like Paul writes to Timothy, bring us mercy where we need mercy. Bring us grace where we need grace. And Father, more importantly, will you bring peace in the calm of the storm. As we head closer to this fall season in this year, we ask for you to bring grace peace and mercy to us all we love you King Jesus and all God's people said amen amen amen, and amen and so today we start a new sermon series it's called the good fight and we are going to learn how to fight the way Christ wants us to fight not the way the world wants us to fight and I'm super stoked on that and so today we're going to go through 20 verses and so Normally, if we were going through this a little bit slower, I'd spend 20 minutes maybe on the o- opening, but let me just kind of power through what it's saying. It's first of all telling you who Paul is and who's the author, the Apostle Paul. He says it in there, and he gives his normal signature. It's kind of the end of an email kind of thing. This is who I am. That's the first thing. The second thing, he talks about his identity. His identity. I've been called by God. I live for, the, uh, the, for the, the Lord and Savior. He is the one that calls me above all things. And he says, that's the most important thing you need to know. All the other stuff is good, but know that I have my identity in Jesus Christ. And then the last part, he talks about who he's writing to. Timothy. This young pastor that needs to be encouraged. I don't know why you're here today, but I know this. Like like Bree was talking about, we need to come and be encouraged because we're celebrating God in our life today and every day this week. We're not here to get something from God. We're here to bring an offering to God. And that's your heart and soul, your mind, so that we can fight this good fight. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus But it's really to Timothy, the leader. He wrote a book in Ephesus. That was in 61 AD. He wrote this book. And he was there when he was in this prison in Rome. He writes to Ephesus and talks about this 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 way to disciple. But now, a couple years later, he's planted this guy named Timothy, this young pastor. And he says, man, I need you to stay and fight the good fight. And that's what we're going to do today. So the first thing you need to know today is... Is your identity in Christ can your neighbors can your family members can your workmates your schoolmates can anyone in society recognize you as a Christian and I'm not telling you to put a bumper sticker on my bumper sticker tells everybody what a terrible driver that Christian is so the bumper sticker doesn't always promote good things right So does your neighbors, do people in your life know that you have Christ as their identity? That's the first thing. So today we start with this new sermon series. And we're going to learn to fight with spiritual gloves. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take off our physical gloves and we're gonna learn to fight the way that Christ wants us to fight. This good fight that comes from above. It's not the world's way, it's God's way. And what happens is there's a problem because humans live in this world and we let the world drive us and it brings us fears and worries. And the idea here is to fight the good fight. And at our church, if you're new and I met a couple people already, here's the thing, we are fighting by our mission statement, which is loving people one person at a time. We are to love the world. Countercultural. cultural we, we don't wanna actually shun the world, we wanna love them, and the new part, the vision that God has given us this summer is we wanna create world changers, passionate world changers for the kingdom of God. We wanna create this place in life where we encounter people and they fall in love with Jesus so much that is eeping out of your pores. You know like when you ate too much garlic the other night? And the person next to you is like, man, you smell. I hope we have that essence, that song we sing. I want to move your heart. If it's a fragrance, let me pour it out. And today we're going to learn to fight this good fight. And our memory verse is this. And there's things in life that we need to learn to reverse engineer. And what that means is it's a future word. And so we need to live our life in a way that we will get there. And here's what it says, and we will talk about this the last Sunday in 10 weeks. But here's what the end is with Paul and it should be the end of all Christians. It says, "I have I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful." I hope one day that's what I've left on this earth. Not on my tombstone, because that's not going to do anybody. They're going to have to randomly walk by and go, oh, that guy fought the good fight. Really, I want people to know that's how we live. I fight the good fight, not the world's fight. I fight the kingdom fight, and I've remained faithful through everything—through persecution, through political uh, chaos, through you know economic issues, through whatever it is that happens in your life. Relationships, divorce, depression, addiction—I've fought the good fight, and I've remained faithful, and I've turned to God. That doesn't mean you need to be perfect. It It means faithful. It's a big difference. And that's how we're going to fight. This sermon series, I'm going to give you biblical examples, not my examples. I could find all kinds of worldly examples. I'm going to open up the Bible just like I am at the end today and show you biblical examples on how to put on your spiritual boxing gloves so that you can learn to fight the good fight. I'm going to take these off because they'll bother me and uh, I'll bring them back when they are needed. So today, may this be your prayer that at the end of your life, you fought in the good fight. Here's what it says in the next part of the verse, and this is really where the meat is. It says, when I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay in Ephesus and stop those who were teaching, uh, whose teaching was contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste your time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees, something that we, we have to struggle with today. These things will only lead you to meaningless speculation which don't help people live a faithful life with God. Here's the thing. As a pastor, I get all kinds of questions from believers and non-believers, from family members, from people out of town that go, oh, my son and daughter go to your church or whatever, or my family does, and they ask these questions, and they always are in the hypothetical, well, what if this happens? How, do you, how does your God work? And I said, well, when that happens, we'll come across it, but the, the, come, come across it, but really, just worry about you right now and your faith don't worry about the what if that could happen because it will happen we know it does but we deal with it in the way that God wants to deal with it at that particular point when we live in the hypotheticals we struggle so Paul is trying to break free of that and he's trying to communicate to his son his spiritual son this guy named Timothy it's very similar to myself and Jeremy I don't really consider him my son but we've been brothers in Christ for many years and we have this kind of Timothy Paul type of relationship. I met him when he was 15, and he was uh, had a great mind back then, but we have been walking together, and listen, if I had to leave my house for a year, and leave my family, and Clover, my dog, if I had to leave that, I know that I could give Jeremy the keys to my Camry, and he would take care of it, and he would do the best he can, because that's the kind of relationship we have, because we've spent many years together. We can look at each other and go, okay, it's my time to come come up because we have that relationship the apostle Paul and Timothy have that very same relationship and he's like I'm gonna leave and I need you to stay my spiritual son and lead this church and I know you're young but I trust no one else and this word remain or urge is a military command like hey this is a Greek uh, military language saying I need you to stay it's critical that you stay and so Paul is being an encourager just like anybody remember, anybody old enough for Rocky 1? Not really in this church. But there's this guy in Rocky 1 or in 2, I think at some point he leaves this earth, but there's a guy, he's an encourager and he's in the corner and he's trying to build up this young boxer to actually fight the good fight that he can win and his name's Mick, you remember Mick? And Mick's in the corner and he's trying to, come on, Rock! You can do it. And that's what the apostle Paul does to Timothy. He's in his corner and he's writing him a letter and saying, come on, Timothy, you can do it. And that brings me to the second point of today's message, mentorship. We need mentorship. You need to have people in your life, old teaching the young. And I'm not talking about spirit, uh, old, like physically, I'm talking about spiritually. I need someone that's gone before me. Some people could be 25 years old and have gone through a lot of stuff and have been in faith and read their Bible for 20 years and they've gone before you. And so what you have is this old, mature Christian helping out a younger Christian in their walk. That's called mentorship. And you know what they're doing? They're doing what Mick was, is fighting the good fight, going, come on, you can do this. Yes, I know all the chips are down. Yes, it looks like you can't win the championship or your, your marriage or your relationship's on the line. I get it, but it doesn't mean that it has to be that way. It's just how it looks. And we walk by faith, we don't walk by sight. And so Mick is encouraged him, and in a couple weeks we'll talk about this verse at length, but this is a verse that me and Jeremy have talked about at least, no joke, 50 times in our, our lunch meetings or hanging out. It says, "Don't let Anyone, 1 Timothy 4.12, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks. Don't let anyone think of you less because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Don't let people destroy you because of their age and their wisdom of the have from the world versus a young person that's pure of heart, that's living a life for Christ, that's walking in faith and living for God. And that's what... Paul's trying to do throughout this letter and throughout chapter one. Super critical. Here's what verse five says. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be, uh, would be filled with a love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. And I just want to stop there, and I want you to know this. God is an inside job thing. God works on the inside. The ugly part, you know the stuff that we try and hide? But man, woman, and child, we work on the outside. How do I know that? Just open up your social media right now. Oh, so-and-so just lost 40 pounds. Praise God. Buy this new drink, and you'll have that same outside change. Or look at me in the mirror. You guys do not want to see this shirt off. You guys will be scared. No, literally, you'll be scared. We post cars and pictures and vacations All these outward things, but God is an inside God and his blood and our relationship with Christ cleanses us so that we can be pure in heart, that we can live for the kingdom of God, that we can have a clear conscience. How do you have a clear conscience? You know what I did this morning? Lord, wash me clean today with the blood of Jesus Christ so that my conscience will be clear and so that I can live for the glory of God. And you know what I have to do tomorrow on Monday? Lord, wash me clean with the blood of Christ, so that I can have a clear conscience, and I can have a clear path, because by the end of the night, it'll be all jacked up, and I'm going to need to clean it up each and every day, that's how we do it, so it's an insight thing, verse 6, but some people have missed the point, they have turned away from these things, and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law. Look at I can preach the gospel. I know the text back and forth. I know the Hebrew. I know the Greek. I want to preach this. But they don't know what they're talking about. And even even though they speak confidently. Let me tell you about confidence. Confidence means nothing. It means nothing. You can have the least confident person come up and give you a message. And it can be just as strong. Confidence kind of sometimes acts like yeah, and I've got a beachfront property in Arizona today. I can sell it to you for 150000 right now. Cash. You can get confident. In it. There's no beach. But we, tempt, we, we as humans fall victim to confidence. I was at a pastor's conference several years ago. It's been five or six years. There was a pastor up there. And we had a table of like eight or nine people at our, at our church. And a couple of the guys were like, this is my favorite pastor in the world. And he's local. He's about 70 miles away. Huge pastor. Very brilliant And he said this. There's no burnout in church. He's talking to four hundred and fifty pastors and he says there's no such thing with burnout. And our table chuckled, and you know, me and Jeremy are a little bit sarcastic, just a tad bit. And we chuckled a little bit, like, yeah, we've all been in ministry. We know what ministry's like. Ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. And I've seen burnout. This guy was so confident, it sounded so true. But I know what it looks like to work for the gospel. And I know what burnout looks like. And so I felt like, man, is this guy right and I'm wrong? But confidence sometimes lies to us. Like this is, his way must be the only way. Even though it doesn't say that in the Bible, it's just what we believe as humans. It's like, is there something wrong with me? That's what he's talking about here. That brings us to the, second, uh, the third part today. It's false teaching. We have to beware of false teaching. You guys need to know there's all kinds of false teaching in our area right now today. In our city, in our county, in our state. There's all kinds of false teaching and false idols. And we are acting like, oh, that stuff happened 2,000 years ago. It's not happening today. Look in your neighborhood. Look online and measure it with the gospel and what the text says. Because what the text says is usually different to what humans say. So we got to be wary of that. Uh, False teaching is not gospel-centered. It's human-twisted or human-bent kind of to fit the gospel narrative that they want. It's meaningless discussions about what we call non-essentials. And I can give you a list. But here's one of the things that we consider non-essential, but it's important. One of the things that's important is Christ is coming back. Right? But it's a non-essential in the sense of... When he comes back, is is it tribulation before the tribulation? Is it middle of the tribulation or after? Those are all great conversations, but he's coming back regardless. So he doesn't really, it doesn't have any effect in my faith. All I can do is be a watchman waiting for him to come back and doing the kingdom work. And so what happens is we start to see people argue, and that's what Paul's saying. Endless discussions about things that really don't have anything to do with building Christians up, bringing new people into the kingdom of God. The the second part is false teaching turns the gospel on its side, and it kind of manipulates it. Here's the gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, Jesus was born a virgin. He died upon the cross. He shed his blood. He rose three days later, and he's coming back. That's the gospel message. If anything else goes before that and shapes and twists around that, that's not really a gospel message. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, the doctrine I have, I had an encounter. I was listening to my devotion today. It randomly came up. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says Paul like, had this moment with Jesus. He goes, I don't know if I ascended to heaven or if I just kind of went into a trance or I had this dream, but I was there. And he goes, my doctrine comes from Jesus, from what I received from him and from my study of the Old Testament. And so he's like, what I'm giving you is what God wants us to have. But false teaching... Is subjective. Somebody online's watching and just swiping through going, oh, what you're saying is so wrong. Because it's subjective. Because somebody's like, well, this is how I translate it. When humans start to put their two cents into it, it starts to waver. And it becomes about opinions. And God wants us to know this. Here's what I know about sound doctrine. They open up the Bible and they read the Bible. It's Christ-centered. It's the Trinity-focused and exalted. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And don't let the Holy Spirit not roar in the community because the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God that most churches don't allow roar and bring to play. So it's not about new ideas, man's ideas. It's about elevating Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I love this church because we try and do all of that. All three because they're all three critical and part of it. Here's the last point. Anybody remember this album cover? Some of you older people, it looks like this. It's called The Dark Side of the Moon. But he, we're not supporting that. I'm just telling you, for you heathens that know this music, <laughs> let me go delete my a thing real quick. This is called bending light. There's one true light and Satan or Lucifer or the devil likes to bend light. And bent light looks beautiful. It looks beautiful. So you got the one true light going through the light, and then the prism hits, and everybody gets astounded by the beauty of the light bend. And what happens, we live in false doctrine, and we don't live for the one true light. Let me give you a quick example and then I gotta move on. God is everywhere. Everybody believe that? God is everywhere, so. God, uh, then everybody should be a God then, right? Or because God is everywhere, everything I do is godly, right? No, but that's how we switch and twist and all of a sudden, well, if God is everywhere, then everything I do should be honoring God. Not quite. That's not what we're saying, but see, that's how light bends and that's how we lead and he's trying to communicate that. So let's continue verse eight. We know that the law is good when used correctly. The law is good. For the law was not intended for people to do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious. That's this section right here. Oh, sorry. Just behind you then. The laws for people uh, who are ungodly and consider themselves nothing sacred or defile what is holy, who kill, listen to this part, we're gonna come back to this, who kill their fathers or mothers or commit other murders. So, highlight that, we're gonna come back. The laws for people who are sexually immoral. Highlight that, we're gonna come back to it. Who practice, don't say it, we can't say this now, homosexuality, or slave traders. Uh, liars, promise breakers, or anything else that contradicts wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. The law is good. How do we know the law is good? And just, I just can't tell you the law is good. I look into Matthew chapter five and Jesus says, hey, the law is good because I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And I've come to put the law into two categories, loving God and loving other people. He comes in and doesn't change the law, doesn't abolish the law. And he says, the law then comes down to two things. Those are the two things that we should be focusing on. So the, the, the next part is to understand sin. A lot of times we know their sin. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. Well, what do you sin? What does it look like? Does anybody want to confess their sin right now? I mean, nobody ever comes up to the altar call for that. They just, and if they do, they just want to be seen. But the truth is, we, we struggle as a church to confess our sin. But we need to understand it at least. Paul's saying the law is good, and he says that the law is for the lawless. It's for those people that don't know the law, doesn't know God. That's what he's talking about. And, and uh, he's saying nothing is sacred to those that don't follow the law. He's basically saying believers believe things are sacred, but non believers, they don't know the sacred things that they're breaking. How could they? Because they saw a TikTok last night or a meme that somebody posted? That's what he's talking about. That's the rub. The law is used to show us our sin. It's a measuring stick and saying humanity, society needs a savior because sin is running rapid. That's what the 10 commandments are there for. That's what the law is used for. But really it's to point us that we need a solution. And that's what Paul's talking about. Now let's not. I don't want to just go over and say we said homosexuality and murder without dealing with it quickly. There's so much we can talk about. If you have any conversations or questions, I'd love to sit down and meet with you. Uh, if you have any email issues, uh, email me at Jeremy at org We'd love to communicate with you. My name's Jeff, but uh, Jeremy loves those questions. The text says this, and here's what I want you guys to know: Everybody say all. So, what does all mean? Everything. So, it says all murder is wrong. Not just the ones that you and I might be passionate about, it says all murder. And we're passionate. We, we believe in some that are really bad in abortion. We're, you know Whatever you believe, it says, but it's all murder. It's not just one. It's all. So if you're struggling with murder, it should be the news and everything around it because murder, all murder is wrong, right? I'm just trying to point you to what the text says, not what I say and not what man wants us to think about. It's not just one thing, it's all murder. How about homosexuality? It's listed as sin, as a uh, 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 sin that people have. It's not the most highlighted sin or the worst sin, but what we've been taught for several years is divorce and homosexuality are the, the one true sins that we can't have. And they're highlighted over everything else. But the truth is, it's just sin, and a sin is a sin no matter how you slice it. But So, so listen to the list again, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to flip it around a little bit. He says, this is sin. Murder is a sin. We agree? Yeah. Lying is a sin. Who lied on the way in today? How you doing? I'm good. No, I'm good. And they run to the bathroom and cry. But that's in the same text with murder. You see the contrast there? Then it talks about slave traders or sexual immorality and breaking a promise. Who said they were gonna be home at six and got there at 6.01? Or 6.10 or 6.30 or 7.15? You broke your promise. It's in the same context. And what we do is we look at sin and we measure them differently. God doesn't. Lying is a sin, promise breaking is a sin, murder is a sin, homosexuality is a sin, sexual immorality is a sin, slave trading is a sin, and that's where we see here. We need to understand sin. Sexual immorality, the word in in, in Greek is pornonia, it's where we get porno, and uh, here's the definition, just so that you have it, and, and this is going to be a tough conversation for a second. Sexual immorality is selling off or giving away sexual purity that involves any type of sexual expression outside of a biblical marriage. Biblical marriage matthew chapter 19 look it up and 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 what that means is god has defined marriage and anything outside of a marriage done is sexual impurity or, or immorality let me give you the list close your ears if you don't want to hear it pornography lust lust it says if you lust matthew chapter 5 it's like you just had an affair even though you lusted lust adultery premarital sex masturbation same-sex relationships race incest rape incest and any kind of fornication all outside the confines of marriage so what we do is we highlight the one that's more outward and we don't worry about the one that you can't see right again god is an inside job and how do we fight the good fight? We work on the inside. And how do we fight that good fight? It's I don't point to you, or I don't point to you. I don't point to you, and I don't point to you. and I don't point to you, and I don't point to you, and I don't point, well, I do point to you and look at your sin a lot though, but uh, <laughs> I don't point outwardly. This is what my wife would say. Spend more time on your inward self than I don't have time to look outwardly. That's how we fight the good fight. Here's the last thing. We don't have healthy sex talks at church with our family, with our kids, and just say how it helps or hurts your relationship. We don't now my wife has done a pretty good job, but it didn't save us and protect us from you know our kids walking imperfectly. That's just not life. The life is not to be perfect, right? And so, but we gotta to learn to have healthy conversations. And if you don't have the conversation, some other knucklehead is, and they're not gonna be biblically sound or have the Bible in the conversation. We need to learn to have healthy conversations. But all this comes to the point where the Apostle Paul says, I thank God for his mercy. Here's what he says. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy, of trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, the actual word means cheekiness. We don't use that word anymore. That's something pre-70s or pre-80s, cheekiness, which just means disrespect or disobedience. Hey, it was only a joke, dude. Cheekiness, not a big deal. Guys walking out, I was just laughing at him. (laughs) in my insolence I persecuted his people but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief oh and how generous and gracious our Lord was he filled me with faith and love that comes from Jesus I'm ignorant and I had unbelief and I had insolence I didn't know and so I was disrespecting God and Paul says I thank God I thank God for his mercy. Paul's saying we're all sinners. And a little bit later in the next text, he's gonna say, and I am one of the worst. And the truth is, feel comforted if you're new. I might be the worst sinner up here or in the room today. At least I feel like that. You know, look at my past. You look it up online, you'll see some stuff. And, uh, you know, I have it in my, in, my, in my story. But it's not who I am, it's what I did. And that's the same with the apostle Paul. Paul talks about ignorance. When people don't know God, how do you expect people to follow God's laws or follow God's will or to know what right and wrong is? We don't. But what we do is we assume, well, because God is in everything, that you should just know. Well, they don't know. They're not coming to church. They're not in community groups. They're not in mentorship. They're not reading their Bible. They're watching TikTok or they're streaming, uh, you know, something on Netflix. I was going to say it, but I didn't do it. So I just let it go. why do we want people that are non-believers to follow believers rules or laws, or way of life i mean i know why we want it but do they really know what they do is google one word and one verse and a verse comes up it's completely out of context it's not looked at as the whole bible and what happens is that's what they see in christianity and they see how we live and what we say and then they go huh. Paul didn't realize any of this until he met Jesus and was radically saved and then became a passionate world changer for the kingdom of God. That's what happens to him. So much so that my whole life is consumed in Christ and everything else is gone. It's, it's been consumed. He says in one sense, it's all garbage. And that filled him, made him complete and content even as he's at the end of his life and he could smell and feel death. I'm content. I can do all things. Even though I'm in chains, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to live this life. How, to fight, how do we fight the good fight? Here's, here's another point. Love the sinner until they learn to love the Savior. Love the sinner until they learn to love the Savior. You have to love the sinner right into the kingdom of God. They have to learn. It's by learned experience that you have faith in Christ. And so we love the sinner until they learn to experience and say, man, that God that you live by, I want that. And I need that. And then they're like, oh man, I have it and then they start inviting people too and they become world changers for someone else. Verse 15 says this, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it and this should be highlighted in your Bible. This is from the NLT, it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. Mine says sinners, but you gotta put your name in there and you gotta put your friend in there and you got to put the people that you hate in there. And you got to put the people that you love in there. And Christ came to save sinners. And then what he says, and I am the worst of them. He's confessing, testifying. But God had mercy on me so that Christ could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. Then others will realize they, that they too can believe in him and receive this eternal life. And then he kind of gets poetic. You know how Jeremy sometimes gets poetic in his writing or as a message. He gets poetic and he says, all honor uh, and glory to God forever. He, he is eternal. He's the eternal king unseen. Uh, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. I jacked it up. I was supposed to do it all poetic like Jeremy, but... You wanna know the good thing? I'm not Jeremy. My name's Jeff. Five times in the Bible it says, this is a trustworthy saying, that this is the gospel message. Five times, that means it's important and that you need to know it. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. He's a great example, Uh, he's a great teacher, but he's really here to save us from ourselves and for the sin that's in this world. Jesus saves sinners. This is a trustworthy saying because we know that's what he came to do. And here's the best part. If you buy now, he uses sinners to give his message away to other sinners. Why? Because they have sin and they know sin and they shouldn't condemn other people that have sin. But we do. Do you guys remember what it was like when you came to church and you were still sinning? It sure doesn't look like it is 20 years later, five years later, it looks different, right? That's what we're talking about here. And here's the best part. You, one of the greatest tools in the Bible is the patience of God. I got limited patience. Seriously. Seriously. But God's got a lot of patience, and that's what Paul says in this. I love it. He says, that's a prime example of his patience. He He basically saved me as a prime example, and that's what he's talking about. It's beautiful. Here's the last part of the text in 1 Timothy. He says, "My son uh, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. We'll get to that in a second. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. Cling, best verse in the whole text today. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep a clear conscience that comes from the blood of Christ. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked because they made a conscious decision. Not for me today, God. I'm not going to follow you today. I don't want to follow you today. That's what he's saying. Hymenus and alexander are two examples i threw them out and handed them over to satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme god i basically kick people out of church because what they're doing on their monday through saturday gig is is is, is blaspheming god and the way that they're living their life is is what we call it's called the demas effect in my theology which means there's a guy named demas in philemon it's a one chapter book his name's demas and the world became more important to Christ. And right in the middle of him doing ministry, he walked out and says, oh, she's too hot or I'm gonna chase money or whatever. And he just walks out and says, the world. And they said, Demas left. He he thought the world was better. So they call it, you know, the way that I see it, it's called the Demas effect. The world became their doctrine instead of God and his word. Timothy says to him, remember, Timothy, the words that were spoken over to your life. Remember those words. God has spoken those over you. You are a pastor. You are a preacher. You are to love people. You are to stand true and strong. Even though you're love, he has these prophetic words. And then it says, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. A few weeks ago, I don't know if you guys were here, but I did a sermon about my discouragement and being encouraged. And one of the things that kept rolling in my brain this constant video was in my discouragement as I was contemplating do I do ministry again all these people 20 30 people that have come to me through different countries a couple of different countries throughout the states a, a guy was in my living room a couple of weeks ago reaffirming my call those kept coming to me going I can't just leave these people have, have prayed over me and prophesied that I'm to do the work that God has called me to do wherever that is and however it is I, I just can't quit is what I'm saying and that's what paul's telling them here you've been called by god to fight the good fight so my question is how do you fight the good fight how do you put on spiritual gloves versus the physical gloves that we use today well here's how i used to fight i used to fight with words anybody like to fight with words here we fight with words. I used to escape with drugs and alcohol. That was my fight. By me not dealing with stuff, I would use drugs and alcohol to fight. Uh, lying and cheating, that was a way of fighting. Selfish and self-centeredness, anger, opinions. How about that attitude? You know the one. In essence, my role's my way, my God, as I understand him. That's how I used to fight. But how should we fight? Well, let me look at this list. This list is an encouraging letter to Timothy. And here's some of the things that we learned. There's a couple that I just didn't add to it because we could talk about it, which is share your testimony. But number one, identity in Christ. Your first thing is, I've got to have an identity in Christ. I've got to be able to not just have it on my bumper sticker, but people need to know that I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing is have a mentee-mentor relationship. Somebody in your life helping you walk through the things in life. Number three, false teaching. You've got to be able to know your text And you can't let me be the only one that reads text over you. You gotta read it over your own soul and over your own life so that you can know, hey, that's not exactly what God is saying. That's close, but no cigar. Beware of false teaching. Understand sin and how sin is looked at by God. We all sin, we all fall short, we all have sin, so why are you judging another sinner? Crickets. Love the sinner instead until they learn to love the Savior. Love. Love wins, but it's the love of God. And love them until they learn to love a Savior. And the last one, there's two more. Cling to Christ, I love this one. We got any sloths in the room? Sloth is my favorite animal, and I love this verse, it talks about this. It says, uh, cling, to Christ, uh, cling to your faith in Christ and keep a clear conscience. This has gotta be my daily battle. I've got to cling to Christ. Look at that smile. You know why he's happy? He's clinging to Jesus. And he's got a clear conscience for the glory of God. Cling to Jesus and let God roll in your life. So how do we fight? Here's a biblical example. I'm going to give you two verses as Jesus is walking in the end of his life. This is how we fight the battle. You know the song, this is how I fight my battle. This is how we fight the battle. Here's what it says. Jesus was betrayed. If you've ever been betrayed, Jesus was betrayed by one of the 12. And as they're in the garden and they're betrayed, look at the words and look at how he fought. Here's what it says. So Judas, one of the 12 came straight to Jesus greetings rabbi and he exclaimed and gave him a kiss and Jesus said my friend go ahead and do what you have come for and then the others grabbed uh Jesus and arrested him but one of the men with Jesus pulled out a sword and struck uh struck the high priest slave slashing off his ear and that's how we fight well that's how we fight but that's not how Jesus fights Here's what he says. He says, put away the sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. The human sword, that's how we're gonna die. The the, the word of God will be the way that we live and die in that way. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for 12, for thousands of angels. Your text might say 12 legions to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that was described what must happen now? It's like, if I wanted to win this battle, you don't think I can get away from a couple of ragtag guys in the garden? It's like, if I wanted to, I can have my people fight, and it would be over. But he's like, I got something better to do. And it's the same in your life. God's got something better to do. Again, in the same story, in a different chapter telling the same story, Jesus goes before Pilate and he says, are you the king of the Jews? The people want to kill you, but they're saying you're the king of the Jews. And he comes to this conclusion. And here's what the Lord says. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were so, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders but my kingdom is not of this world. So how can you fight a worldly battle for a kingdom battle you can't? And I want to just close with this last picture. At this point, there's there's a picture where Pilate is holding up this sign and Jesus is bloody, bloody, beaten, and at the end, And he's not asking for people to come and grab a sword and post something online and take up arms. He's saying, this is how we win. We surrender to win. You surrender your hopes and dreams. You surrender your brokenness. You surrender your depression. You surrender your anger. You surrender the unforgiving spirit in your life. And this is not easy. I was just talking to a friend of mine when he walked in the church and he's been fighting a battle and he's followed this path. And you know what? The path hasn't produced a ton of results the last few years. But that doesn't mean God's not working. We surrender to win. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you speak to us right now. These next few moments are the most important moments in our church. For those online, for those outside, I pray that your spirit dwell and grow and shape us. And I want to offer the greatest gift, salvation, by claiming Jesus as Lord. If you're online today, if you're outside, if you're inside and here and need a savior, I'd like to offer them, offer Christ to you by saying a simple prayer. And all you got to do is repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart and soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross for me to wash me clean. And you rose three days later, which brings me into eternity. And I thank you for that. And finally, Holy Spirit, take over my life so that I can live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the best part of ministry, so let God reign in your heart right now.